I'm Adam Crofts, and this is Better Begins Here. This is the podcast for people who are striving to be the best version of themselves, whether that's in life, work, or fitness. In every episode, you'll hear from athletes performing right at the pinnacle of their careers. You'll also discover what it takes to become one of the best in the world and what it's like to get there too. Everyone was affected by the pandemic, but when you find out that the Olympic Games you've been training for for years have been cancelled at the last hurdle, how do you keep yourself motivated and how do you adapt the way you train? Today, you're going to hear from two-time Olympic gold medalist Jade Jones, OBE. I was lucky my roommate also, you know, trained and she was training for the Olympics, so literally be, um, you know, having breakfast upstairs, go down in our slippers, take them off and beat each other up and then go back and um, watch TV like everyone else is doing. <laughs> I'm so impressed by Jay's dedication to her sport and the way that she deals with adversity. I think there are valuable lessons that you and I can both take into our daily lives. Hope you enjoy the episode. Okay, Jade, welcome to Better Begins Here. Thank you for having me. Two times Olympic gold medalist, already competed at three Olympics at such a young age and such a huge career ahead of you still. So honestly, all of us cannot wait to learn from you today. Feeling good? Yeah, no, um, you know, really appreciate being on board and absolutely love everything that Prevail is about and super excited to be here. I know, yeah, so obviously fresh back from competing in Tokyo and you've already stepped up and come and join us for a day <laughs> in HQ. How do you find the day? Yeah, to be fair, um, it was a bit of a shock to the system, obviously, the training session. Um, I expected just coming back from Tokyo, you know, you're going to ease me into it and, you know, have an easy session. But, you know, it was good to, like, truly test out the prevail. And, yeah, it was, it was a good session and just loved, um, you know, meeting everyone and getting to know the place, really. Yeah, there was, I must admit, there was a good bit of nervousness ahead of you joining Jamie, our testing manager, that put you through your paces. I think you intimidated him a little bit before you came in. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't uh, kick anyone in the head this time. First time while I was here anyway. But <laughs> yeah. So that was a toughest session since you've been back then? To be fair, it was like the only session since I've been back. Um, obviously, after Tokyo, you have to take a bit of time to you know, just take it all in and kind of think about everything and, and just let your body and your mind rest. You know, it is tough. Um, the Olympics is, you know, it's a four year cycle and this time was five years. So that extra year did take a toll and, yeah. it, you know, it's been hard on the body physically and mentally. So it was, it's been nice to just, you know, fully take a step back from the sport and, um, you know, have a bit of a rest really. That can't be quick, can it, to decompress on the way back from Tokyo? I'm guessing it must take a bit of time, right? Yeah, and I think, you know, even now still, I'm I'm still, you know, taking things in and thinking, you know, what went wrong, what went right. And obviously, you know, for me, it's absolutely devastating losing in Tokyo because, you know, two goals before and going in to get that third gold, it was tough to take. But as, as I said, coming back and, you know, seeing what went wrong and, and just realising I wasn't in a good mental place. So I've definitely learned so much and I'm just excited now to take that forward and see where it can get me really onto Paris and beyond. Yeah. So you get back, is it, where do you spend your time? Who do you speak to? Where do you go? Um, it's, it's more just me family and friends, to be fair. Um, you know, I've got a really tight knit group and I think my family are the people that know me the most. So, um, you know, they knew I wasn't myself in Tokyo, so they could see it straight away. So it's nice to come back, you know, just spend quality time with family and friends that I don't normally get to. And like I said, just totally switch off and almost not think about Taekwondo. And it's quite selfish, you know, being in sport and you're only focused on that goal and that um, gold medal. So to finally, like, take a step back and finally see me family and stuff is just nice. That's cool. So they were there to greet you when you got home then? 
Yeah, to be fair, they literally, um, I landed in the airport in Manchester and there's a, a big crew of them. So, um, like I said, it made coming home a lot easier to, you know, see all their little faces smiling and they literally still acted like a one. So to me, you know, that, that means the world. It wasn't, they didn't treat me any different and yeah. they were celebrating as, as if I'd won. That's amazing. Family's super important, right? It feels like obviously everything we've seen and we learned about you so far, like family's massively important in your life. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, I come from a small place in Flint, so I've always been dead family orientated. And I think, you know, some people get like sidetracked and think, you know, sport is everything. And obviously it's it's a big part of my life. I absolutely love Taekwondo where it's took me and, you know, my whole life about trying to be multiple Olympic gold medalists and stuff. But like when it comes down to it, my family will always be first. And, you know, it's nice to know that, you know, your perception is always there then. They know you better than anyone, right? Wasn't it your granddad that initially got you started in Taekwondo? Yeah, so I um, was a bit of a naughty, cheeky kid from a young age. Literally, I was like smoking from the age of 10 and things like that. And and then he obviously seen that and like wanted to get me going in the right direction. And I think it was martial arts that he wanted to get me in. And it was just by chance it was Taekwondo. And I remember going there the first lesson and literally fell in love with all the flashy kicks and spins. And then ever since that day, um, he was doing like 12-hour shifts and constantly driving me all across the country and you know different competitions different training so I you know definitely owe a lot to him wow that's incredible so I guess an amazing role model from young was there some good like early lessons he installed into you then yeah I think um you know just like he'd never got he'd never done taekwondo or anything like that so it wasn't like I copied him but I think I don't know he just knew like he seen the the talent in me early and just knew he had to do anything it could to to get me to a good place so like I said anything that I needed he, he took me to or he even trained with me at home I remember mm-hmm. him like hitting me with newspapers at home to get me cover good and things like that <laughs> and I'd be like ah Gunda, that hurts and he's like well move out the way then so um you know I definitely owe a lot to him so that's your secret training technique then granddad's and newspapers yeah definitely get yourself some <laughs> newspapers and you'll be Olympic champion <laughs> I suppose that's potentially always stuck with you hasn't you like seeing him make those sacrifices at young that's got to be quite motivating for you I suppose knowing what they've went through to get you where you were yeah, I think, um, you know, that's definitely where, like, the the close family knit started as well. And obviously my whole family have come to all the different competitions with me as well. And like I said, it just creates that bond because, you know, I know everything they've gave for me and then I want to perform and do well and, like, bring back that gold medal because of everything they've sacrificed almost. Yeah. I suppose um, compare it to a coach almost, they're still heavily involved now, aren't they? Do they speak to your coaches? They have much involvement in your training and I'm guessing they're still with you all the time, right? Yeah, so I think obviously because it didn't go well in Tokyo, I think my granddad went straight to the coach and was like, what the hell happened, you know, and um, he's always still, um, you know, really involved. And like I always say, he's my biggest fan, but my biggest critic as well. So he'll he'll be honest, you know, when, when I've done good, but he'll also be honest when I've done bad. So can always count on my granddad to yeah. tell me the truth. Who's more scary, coach or granddad? <laughs> oh, that's a that's a tough question. Um, I think I'd have to say my granddad. I'm, I'm still scared of him to this day. That's brilliant. <laughs> so obviously, first started pretty young, snazzy kicks. When did yeah. you first start thinking, right, I'm actually pretty good at this? Um, it was when I did the Youth Olympics um, in 2010. Um, I think I was 17 and I remember standing on top of the podium and the national anthem playing. And, you know, that was a, a chance to kind of prove that I could do it on the big stage. And, 
I remember standing there thinking like, wow, I want to do this for real. And London was only two years away. Wow. And that was where the, the dream like truly, you know, began. And I truly believed in it. So how long have you been training then before you kind of went into the Youth Olympics? Um, I think I've been training since I was eight. Um, so that's what my math, um, nine years. Wow. But um, obviously professionally, it was literally just that year. So it all kind of happened fast and it just, yeah, it just kind of exploded. What was that like then that in the Youth Olympics, that, that win then? Oh, no, it was literally one of the, the best feelings ever. I think I'd say London's me, me best, you know, memory ever. And um, the Youth Olympics is a close second. I think obviously it was uh, the biggest event so far in my career and all my family come to Singapore and it was literally just the best feeling ever, you know, to, to get that gold medal and it was all, I was also the first ever Youth Olympic gold medal as well for Britain. So wow. uh, a little bit of history as well. So you set the legacy from then on. Yeah. Got up to that forever now. <laughs> yeah, then I had to just keep getting history after that. <laughs> so, so at that point then, was there like any other career options ahead of going into the Olympics 17? Obviously super talented. Already then, was that your vision for what you wanted to do? Or was it kind of, you had other options? I think I, I just always throw myself, you know, 100% into what I choose to do and you know, since I started Taekwondo, I remember I was kind of going to college at the start and I'd said to my mum, like, you know, I just want to quit college because I knew for a fact that I wanted to get in the national team and pursue Taekwondo. So I don't think I ever had a backup plan. It was just 100% Taekwondo ever since I um, wanted to go professional, really. Who helped kind of like drive that then? I suppose who was around you then saying, right, OK, this is you. This is what we're going to do. We're going to focus on London. Um, I think it was just me, really. Like, um, you know, I was always very self-driven. And since a young age, like, I used to have, like, tick lists on the wall of um, the goals I wanted to achieve. And my mum used to think it was mad because it, it'd be, like, become Olympic champion, get in the academy. It wasn't, like, little goals. And I literally would just, like, tick them off. So, yeah, I think just myself. Like, I, I'm the one who said, you know, I wanted to pursue taekwondo and I didn't want to go to college anymore and things like that. And my family just kind of let me and supported me. So I was quite lucky with that. Whereas some parents would be like, no, you've still got to go to school. Yeah, that's incredible. Most people have, like, pop stars on the wall and you've got, like, chasing Olympic dreams. Yeah. <laughs> that's pretty awesome. You finish Youth Olympics, UK's first junior Olympic champion. Yeah. How did life change after that? Uh, yeah, no, it was a bit bonkers at first. Like I remember just seeing myself on the news and stuff and it, it was mad, um, you know, being a, from a little town in Flint and then obviously on the news and getting invited to all these like special events. So it's a bit crazy at first, but I think I kind of just took it in my stride and never really thought about it. And even now, you know, people say like, oh, who's the best famous person you've ever met? And I just never really think about it. I just kind of uh, crack on and take it in my stride. So how did you like your training, the approach to training change post that time? Obviously, it got a lot more serious, I'm guessing, a lot more professional entering into like senior ranks. What were the biggest changes? Um, I, th I think the biggest change was um, obviously I had to move from Flint where I lived and obviously I was really close to my family and obviously move in Manchester to enable me to get the full-time training and in Manchester is where like obviously the national team is, you've got nutritionists, psychologists, everything you need in that little bubble. So, um, you know, from the age of 17 to go and kind of live on my own with just one other person, I didn't really know how to cook or, you know, my mum had just done everything for me, did, did me washing, did me cooking. So it was a, a, a big like task at first, but, um, you know, I've absolutely loved it now. Yeah, it was a big, big step up in performance then and everything else that comes with it and around it and the people you're training with as well. 
Yeah, I think then it was the task to, you know, to go from the junior to the senior. Like you said, it's one thing, you know, beating juniors, but to then go to the senior ranks. And obviously I knew London was two years away and, you know, being 17, people would have probably thought I was mad to think I was going to qualify. But I knew, you know, the London Olympics was like a chance in a lifetime. So I just set my sights on trying to qualify, really. So you had two years essentially to get ready for one of the biggest games ever for like a UK athlete. Yeah, definitely. And like it was even, um, you know, trying to prove that I could as well. Whereas I was up against, you know, big dogs um, who'd already kind of proved herself in the senior ranks. And it was only two weights that could qualify for London. So there's lots of different weights in taekwondo. So I had to kind of prove that that mine um, should get picked. That take a while to figure out what weight category you're going to be in. Because I can guess, I guess you can fluctuate quite a lot, right? Yeah, I think, um, you know, I was always naturally, like when I was younger, uh, 57 kilos. So it kind of fit and worked well. But as I've got older, um, it's got a lot harder to stay at that weight. Um, Obviously, um, you know, you enjoy food more, you have a drink more, like when you've, you know, after the competitions and things like that. And just naturally, you know, your your bones change, your muscles change. And so it's been a lot harder to to constantly stay stay at that weight. So I suppose build up to London, relatively unknown, what was the expectation like on you on the back of your world junior champ, first Olympic Games and seniors? What was the pressure, the expectation like leading up to them games? To be fair, London, I didn't feel like I had any pressure because I'm still, you know, relatively unknown and no one really expected me to win, you know, just turn 19 going into, you know, the Olympics. So I was just like purely focused on winning and how amazing it would be to, you know, to be the Olympic champion and just purely focused on that really and it wasn't till after it when I won and you know it was just everything went crazy and then as soon as London finished that's when I started to feel the pressure. Can you still remember the competition well the win? Yeah then I like I've just got little memories like I remember walking out into the arena and um, you know there's thousands of people there and obviously wow. taekwondo is a low-key sport so you know, I've never experienced nothing like it in my life. There was literally thousands of people banging their feet, screaming my name and, and cheering. And I remember my coach saying, do not look up. And I literally remember looking up and thinking, how can I not look at this? Do you know what I mean? <laughs> and taking it all in and kind of, again, like took it in my stride and just loved it and kind of thrived off that. And every time I scored a point or a head kick, it, you know, everyone was screaming. And normally you kind of have to look at the scoreboard to see if you scored. But this time, like... You know, they were just screaming every time I scored. So I, I would know, yeah, yeah, I'm winning. <laughs> Crowd told you he's doing pretty well. Yeah. <laughs> That's an incredible experience. When did the nickname The Headhunter come about? Uh, so The Headhunter, um, it was when I first um, come in the national team. It was normal to like, it was one point for a kick to the body and three points for a kick to the head. So everyone found it easier to obviously kick to the body. Whereas I just kept going straight, like hunting the head because it was three points. So I just didn't see the point in, in going to the body. And everyone just thought it was mad because I found it easier to to just go straight to the head than the body. It's stuck with you ever since. Yeah. <laughs> sounds incredible. Now it puts pressure on me now to always get the headshots. Yeah, I'm guessing people are going to know now, right? That's your, that's your Yeah, game. it's just coming for the head. <laughs> Literally, that's after um, London, that's what happened. Everyone started just covering the head. So it, it did make it a lot harder. So obviously my tactics had to change a little bit. That changed the way you train on the back of that? Yeah, um, obviously you still have to stick with your strengths. Um, obviously my A game is like being aggressive, attacking and, and going for the head. So I couldn't change that because then I kind of wouldn't be me and wouldn't be good. But it's almost like you said, just, OK, they think I'm going high, take it to the body first or do a different kick, then go high. Talk about that feeling then, the moment you realise you just won Olympic gold yeah. in London. What was that like? London was the, you know, it was an indescribable feeling. Um, I just remember 
you know, that it was like three, two, one, and I, I couldn't kind of let it sink in until it had happened, even though I thought, oh my God, I've got Olympic gold. I couldn't let it sink in until the bell went and it was finished. And I think just all the emotion and everything, all the years of hard work just like just flood out in that one moment. And I just couldn't believe it. I was like 19 and, you know, you just see it on the TV and and next minute I'd, I'd yeah. won. And I think I'd dreamt about it that many times when I ha actually had it, I had to like, check if it was real because it literally still felt like yeah. a dream. So do you like visualise that win then? It was you going into some games fully expecting that victory. Yeah, it's not like I was expecting to win because I knew how hard it was. But like I said, you know, as a kid, I, I was every night I was dreaming about it. I'd wake up and, you know, I think, oh, I didn't win. And then, um, like I said, when it actually happened, I thought, oh, my God, um, it, it just felt like a dream. And, you know, all my family there and they couldn't believe it either. It was just yeah. mad. Knowing how you felt then compared to, I suppose, Tokyo, do you think it was a big big difference yeah I think you know nothing ever will compare to um London and I already know that it, you know it's a home games and that's every athlete's dream is to compete in home home games it's it, just the build up everything was amazing and Rio um obviously you know you could think that could be even better because I did it again but yeah. nothing will beat London it was more relief you know when I won the Rio gold and then in Tokyo it was just obviously super hard there was no crowd there at all and it was just like the polar opposite to London, really. So how quick post-London then? Is it like, is Rio in your mind? Is it, you've got that, you're wearing that crown now, right? Yeah. There's a lot of expectation on you. It's a long time until the next games. How do you kind of maintain that motivation? Like, are you still as hungry post-London or? Um, I think that that's a bit I hate, to be fair. Like, you, you've done all that hard work, four years of work. You've got the gold medal around your neck. And the first thing the reporters say is, are you going to Rio? And it's like, God, can I just enjoy this win first? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It just took me Give four me years to get this one and everyone's just on about the next one now. But I think that's just life, in it? It's always what's the next thing, what you're doing next. Um, but yeah, you you kind of know in your head, um, especially after London, I knew straight away I was going to go to Rio because I didn't want to be like a flash in the pan. And, you know, I was only 19. How can you retire being 19? But yeah, after this one, after the loss, it kind of took me a little bit longer to think like, you know, do I want to go again uh, to Paris? Was the motivation still as high then going into Tokyo? Yeah, I think um, it does go up and down motivation. It, it's hard, do you know what I mean? Um, when you've won everything in sport, you know, have um, ticked everything off the world, the Olympics, the Europeans. So it does get hard sometimes and it goes a bit like that motivation. Whereas obviously when you're that young kid and you've never won anything, it's just constant motivation. Um, but I think that's the test, you know, as a champion is to keep winning is you've got to kind of change your motivation and um, even kind of pretend it sometimes, you know, like trick yourself into wanting it for this reason or wanting it for that reason. But yeah, it, it does get hard sometimes. Is that so like always the drive and vision then, the big games? Because it's going to like it's big, long periods of time, right? So there's going to be days, weeks, hours yeah. out of that time that you just don't want to do it. Yeah, I, th I think that was what was hard about lockdown, really. Um, like I said, you know, you, you aim to peak athletes. It's a four-year cycle and you literally aim to peak. And then just to chuck in an extra year in the, in the mix, it's like I feel like I kind of um, mentally drained myself out. Like I'd already got there and then next minute we had to do another year. And obviously being an older athlete and have already done, you know, loads of cycles, you know, it was tough that extra year. There's obviously things change along the way. There's... there's big challenges that you can't foresee coming. She had change of coach, right, as well? Yeah, I think that was um, one of the, like, toughest parts for me. Like, um, I had the same coach in London and Rio and, you know, ever since I was, I think, 15. So wow. to then he left um, to go to, like, a different country. So, you know, that kind of, 
you know, it was a hard time for me and had a bit of a rocky path, but, you know, still managed to win the world, still managed to win the Europeans after he left. So um, it shows, you know, it wasn't just the coach, um, but in Tokyo, when it kind of mattered the most, it's, you know, about that trust and that, the trust in the coach and, you know, it wasn't quite there. Yeah. What makes a good coach then? Um, I think it's just knowing um, your athlete. I think, you know, everyone is so different and has different buttons. I think, you know, the coach I had, he, he knew how to like press me buttons and to annoy me and to, to kind of wind me up. Whereas if I was nervous, he would um, say, right, you're going to let, let these embarrass you then or... Are these are these you're gonna let them win whereas most people wouldn't like that who'd kind of knock them down where I kind of thrive on that and yeah. um, come alive so I think it's just about knowing your athlete and knowing what they need in that moment so you say it's more like personality and the chemistry base as opposed to performance and technical based or yeah I think it's a good question actually but I think for me it is whereas some in taekwondo some people are really tactical um there's this boy in the team and he's literally just so tactical he doesn't really need any emotion or any thing from his coach he just does the tactics like a robot and and then kind of wins whereas I've always been based on emotion and passion and the more drive the more hunger you know that's how I win because I'm just kind of relentless in attacking and things like that so I think for me it's about you know knowing me and knowing how to basically get the most out of me. So when I suppose when that coach left how long did you have to kind of prepare then for Tokyo Lumen? You had to find a new coach and find a new way to train. Yeah, I think um, he, when did he leave now? I think he left in 2017. So, you know, it's been four years. Um, but like I said, at first it was really hard and I felt like I was never going to be able to win again. And how am I going to find another coach? You know what I mean? And and then over time, um, you know, I still, like I said, won loads of competitions. Mm. So I kind of proved to myself, you know, I can do it myself. And But yeah, it's when it, like I said, when I got to Tokyo and you know, it really matters and you really need that little bit of help, that's when you kind of uh, miss it. Still got granddad there though, whipping papers. <laughs> yeah, definitely. You know, get them um, newspapers back out and I'm sure I'll be fine for Paris. That moment when you found out Tokyo can be postponed for a year, how did you deal with that? Um, I, I think I went through phases. Like, um, you know, at first it was like, right, come on, um, you know, it's postponed, it's not cancelled, which, you know, that was the kind of thing that kept us going. Uh, whereas if it had been cancelled, it would, I'd have been distraught. But the fact that it was postponed, it's still, I still had to train, I still had to, you know, continue and kind of push myself. But, you know, like looking back, um, I realised it, it was tough. You know, like I said, I, I just felt like I kind of burned out almost, like I kind of reached my peak before it. And then, um, you know, trying to train and in the garage and things like that, it, it was a lot tougher than, than I initially thought. Yeah, I suppose even if lockdown wasn't there, like trying to maintain that, what you've been training training for to peak at that one time, trying to maintain yeah. that is going to be super hard, right? Yeah, like, like I said, it, it's, it's a very fine line. You've kind of, if you push too much over it, then you can get injured. And if you like literally don't push enough, then you, you don't win. Whereas to like go into a lockdown then and having all that training and done all that work and kind of peaked to then go into a lockdown and like I said, your weight gets heavier and, you know, we couldn't train as much. And But like I said, it's um, no excuses my end. You know, everyone had the same thing and, and you know, champions adapt. So it's about finding a way and um, still overcoming that. So was that in your head then? Obviously, you're thinking at the same time, all the other athletes that potentially you're competing against, they're going through the same thing. Did that kind of drive you to step up training in the limited conditions that you did have? Or? 
I, th- I think that's what was hard, really, because um, different countries had different rules. So you'd see some countries just training as normal. And obviously we're stuck at home eating cakes in a garage. And it's like, bloody hell, how are they, you know, training like normal? But I think it was just, you know, I'm used to such straight line preparation. And I had kind of had to accept it wasn't going to be that way this time. It was going to be rocky. It was going to be up and down and just, you know, do the best I could. What did you do then? How did you train? Um, well, basically, like changed all my garage into um, a taekwondo gym. So I had the taekwondo mats down. I had a kick bob, you know, weights and everything that you needed really to train. But obviously, it was quite small, and we had the neighbours shouting um, <laughs> when we were knocking into the walls and you know beating each other up. And I was lucky; my roommate also, you know, trained, and she was training for the Olympics. So literally, would be um, you know having breakfast upstairs, go down in our slippers, take them off and beat each other up and then go back and um, watch TV like everyone else is doing. <laughs> was it quite hard to make sure you both committed to it, turned up for it? And Yeah, th- you know, there was times when, you know, it was tough. Um, I think sometimes we just think, what are we even doing it for? Like the Olympics is not going to be on. Um, it's not going to be the same. It's going to be rubbish and, you know, kind of feel a bit demotivated. But it was lucky there was a few of us to you know, when one wasn't feeling motivated to say, come on, let's train. And and with Taekwondo, you haven't really got a choice. Like if you don't switch on and if you don't turn up, you know, someone will be kicking you in the face. So, you know, it's easy to to train, really. Did you know how long you kind of had to do this? And how did you kind of keep track of your training and, and make sure you're, I suppose, you didn't have access to coaches or facilities either. So how do you kind of like periodize your training for, for that length of time? And how did you keep yourself accountable? Um, I think it was just trying to look after myself mentally as well. Like it was a tough time and instead of trying to make it exactly the same, I was just trying to find different ways to to train and still tick over. So doing a lot of yoga, going for runs outside, um, you know, playing football and and then obviously still doing the kicking element, but just trying to have fun, um, trying to just get the most out of the session instead of putting too much pressure because, you know, it was tough. It was tough for everybody. There's a huge expectation going into those games as well, right? Like, could have been three Olympic golds yeah. in a row. There's big pressure on that already. Did that kind of pressure continue to build throughout that extended time? Or? Yeah, I think, you know, it was kind of my fault as well. I almost put too much pressure on myself and, you know, the media kind of get wrapped into it and she's going to win three golds. And then I almost went into it thinking, you know, it was three golds or a, a fail and, and then it just puts too much pressure on you. And instead of going in there like normal thinking, oh, let me do my best. Let's see what I can do. And imagine how amazing it'd be if I won. It was almost like, oh, I've got to win. I've got to win. And like I said, everything, you know, the crowd wasn't there and everything was hard going into it. And then I had that pressure of, oh, I've got to win or it's a nightmare. And and then you just put too much pressure on yourself. And then it just kind of got too much when I got there. I can imagine. So that obviously felt a lot different than going into Rio. Yeah, I I did still feel pressure in Rio, but it was more like the pressure I put on myself, um, whereas it was quadrupled going into Tokyo. But like I said, normally it's like I've got the pressure on myself, but there's a big crowd, it's a big atmosphere, and then it's kind of throws me out of that fear mode into fight. Whereas this time I just had the fear, and then there was no adrenaline or no crowd to kind of push me into the fight mode. So did you have anyone like you could you could share that with, talk about with along the way, or was that kind of just building up internally, or? Um, yeah, no, there, there was, you know, I'm lucky to have a psychologist and friends who also do the sport and, you know, there's plenty of people, but you kind of still feel alone. Um, no matter how much you tell people, you still feel like no one actually understands because it's only me in this position and people would advise you and, you know, tell you what they think. But mm. in the end of the day, it's only you that knows how it feels. I can imagine that situation. It's like you just 
prefer all media to completely yeah. go away just <laughs> completely leave you alone and let you get on with it I guess yeah no definitely I think I've learned that like um you know going into the Paris cycle um you know I'll cut off my phone um a good few weeks this time before I go to the Olympics like I was still on Instagram and still you know like active and things like that whereas just shutting all the noise out um definitely helped me in the other ones but like you said, you live and you learn, don't you? Yeah. So it, it'll help me going on to the next one. Definitely. So, so I suppose like mentally going into Tokyo, did you feel a difference yourself of how you felt then compared to other competitions? Did you feel on the back foot ahead of going in or was it? Yeah, I think it was um, like I felt good going into it. And then it was when we got to the the hotel. So obviously normally you go to the Olympic Village and um, like I said, the atmosphere is amazing. And you think, oh, my God, it's the Olympics. It's the biggest thing ever. This time we were staying in a hotel and then we just went across the road. So it almost just felt like a little taekwondo tournament, um, which, again, with all the nerves of knowing it's the Olympics and thinking, God, I've got to win here. And then no vibe, no atmosphere. It was just like I said, it was just hard. And, um, you know, obviously because I lost, I hated every minute of it and yeah. just can't wait to put it right. And hopefully, you know, in Paris, um, it's, a, it's an hour away. Like I already got like thousands of people coming to watch. So hopefully it'll be the closest thing to a uh, home games because everyone can come and watch. So Jade, obviously you just said when you lose mentally, you hated every minute of it. Was that the truth? I think this time, yeah, it actually was. Uh, I don't know. It's a hard question to be fair, but I think... Again, what I've learned is it's all about the journey. And this time, because I did put too much pressure on myself and had too ex much expectation, I kind of didn't enjoy the journey as much either. So then losing, it's like, God, what was the, the point in all that? But when I actually do think about it, um, you know, I love training, I love competing. And, you know, I think being a champion, it you win some, you lose some. So it's like, um, I have to take this as a positive as well. And, you know, like I said, I've already learned so much from it. So... Mm. Probably, you know, when I'm standing on that podium in Paris, I'll be like, oh, yeah, Tokyo is amazing. Um, obviously, it taught me so much. So yeah. we'll see. <laughs> Big learning curve. Yeah, definitely. Mixed emotions about it. So much you can take from like that attitude. Like, it's like you've been there, you've done it, you've dealt with that. Now you're already yeah. focusing on the next thing, isn't it? That I think I think that's what you've got to do. Um, you know, if you just dwelled on the loss and there's nothing that can come from it. Whereas I, you know, do believe literally you, you learn more from your loss. So it's about thinking, right, what happened? What did I do? And how to move it forward, whether it's Taekwondo that I move it forward in or whether it's something else in life. It's like, it's got to make you hungry and, you know, make you like throw it into something else. Still feel hungry then? God, more hungry than ever before. Um, like I said, I think I just got a bit too used to winning and you kind of don't know how it feels again because, you know, you just, you're Olympic champion and then you win the world and um, you just get used to it. Whereas... Now it's like, you know, I want it more than ever again. And it, it literally has 100% um, fueled the fire for Paris. I suppose taking that, like, from the lessons you've learned then, what, what do you think, I suppose without getting too far ahead, or any sort of things that you, you're going to change preparation-wise, training-wise? I think, um, you know, like I said, I've, I've had a few weeks to, like, really think about it and, you know, look into my training, kind of what went wrong. But I, I kind of felt in good shape physically. I think it was just more the mental side. I think it's just about taking off that pressure again and finding the love for it again instead of thinking, you know, you, you've got to win, thinking, let me let me try and win again. Sounds amazing. So focus on Paris already then? <laughs> yeah, definitely. You know, I've had a, a good amount of time off. So looking forward to getting back into the gym now, getting training. And, you know, it's horrible that first part, going back in the gym and you feel like, you know, a beginner again. You feel terrible. You feel unfit. You feel unflexible. And 
it does make you think like, do I really want to put myself through this again? Because it is so hard getting back in shape, but it usually takes a few months and, you know, you're back there. So you got a few, obviously a few stepping stones along the way to Paris. What's what's the first, first port of call? Um, I think um, we've got the World Championships in April and then also I've got the Europeans um, next year in May as well. So that'll be nice. Um, it's actually in Manchester, so it'll be good to have a home crowd again and, you know, everyone can come and watch and, It'd just be nice to have that support and, and, and a crowd, really, hopefully. Crowd again. Reignite that energy again. Definitely. I suppose smartware, like obviously we've been putting you through the paces, wearing the kit. Obviously we set that up to try and keep people accountable to the goals, understand what's going on in their body, use it to aid recovery and stepping up performance. Is that something that excites you about bringing into your training? Yeah, you know, it uh, really excites me. And like I said, I'm, you know, so excited to work with you guys. And I think for me, it's all about that 1%. And, you know, when you are at the top and everyone's fast, everyone's strong, everyone is the best. It's like, how can I make the difference? How can I get better? And, you know, with the smart where it's, it literally will give me that 1%. I can see my recovery. If I'm, you know, super tired that day, it can kind of tell me to, you know, chill out a little bit and, just constantly monitoring, um, you know, where I'm at and where my fitness is at. Did you use kind of devices, anything to track anything like this beforehand? Or? Um, I'd use like, you know, like the Fitbit and the Apple Watches, but especially, you know, in a contact sport, I always end up um, getting a bruise from it because um, I always get kicked in it or punched in it and, um, and it always ends up slipping off. So it being in the sports spread, really exciting. Can't wait to uh, get you back in the gym and, and work with you in the future. Oh, no, I can't wait. <laughs> so I suppose, yeah, hopefully for, for people at home, if you give uh, Jade three tips on becoming better, what do you say? Um, three tips on becoming better. I think, first of all, enjoy it. Obviously, I've <laughs> learned by my mistakes. Um, if you don't enjoy it, you can never really improve and never get the best out of yourself. So first of all, make sure you enjoy it. Um, I think set yourself little goals as well as big goals. Um, you can get too carried away on the the end goal or the big goal but if you set yourself little ones along the way then you're more likely to achieve it and um for me I'd, I'd just exercise in the morning that's my preferred time um as soon as you get up smash out your session and then you've got the rest of the day then whereas sometimes if you prolong it through the day and then it never gets done get up get on it <laughs> yeah <laughs> get you. up and do it <laughs> Cool, Jade. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks so much for joining us. And yeah, see you in Paris. Oh, thank you very much. Again, um, you know, so happy to be on board and hopefully I get that gold medal in Paris. Thanks for listening to this episode of Better Begins Here. There are new episodes out every Wednesday. To make sure you hear the next episode as soon as it's out, follow this podcast on your podcast player. And if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please leave us a five-star review. Stay up to date with everything that's going on at Prevail and how you can become part of our community by following at Prevail on social media. That's P-R-E-V-A-Y-L.